On today's episode, a link between running characteristics and shoe softness in running-related injury. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. discuss. Uh, Let's start with the Run Smarter book because there's been a few developments, decisions in the last 48 hours. I had my interior book designer design the book, like the inside of the book, make it look pretty. And it turns out that the page count is pretty high, very high. In fact, I look through most of my books on my bookshelf and most of them are around between 200 and 300 pages. I think the biggest or thickest book I have is about 400 pages. And the Run Smarter book came in at 714 pages. <laughs> so was a concern. And we've now since made the decision to um, split the book into two, which if you are familiar tracking the idea of the book, Part one is 10 chapters to reduce your risk of injury. Part two, 10 chapters to increase your running performance safely. Now, both of those, I think most runners will want to know those. It's 20 chapters of uh, a fair, well, a lot of detail, as you know, by the, the page count. But part three is designed for running related injuries. And there was 10 chapters there. Um, and in those 10 chapters, it was like the first chapter was rehab basics and the last chapter was rehab um, troubleshooting. And so I wanted to keep 10 chapters in each part. So that left um, eight common running related injuries left in part three, uh, which, you know, patellofemoral pain, Achilles, calf, ITB, shin splints, those sorts of things. Um, and I did scrap a few decided to remove a few running related injuries just so I could keep to that, you know, uniform 10 chapters per part. But since I'm making it now into a second book, I think I'll start adding more things in. So I will be initially selling the run smarter book, the first 20 chapters, because that's going to to relate to every runner, only those who are injured or, you know, maybe therapists, um, health professionals that want to learn more about like every injury or those who are just, you know, curious about running related injuries um, will like part three, which will be the second installment will be a a second book, which I might release 
who knows, maybe in six months time, but I'll dedicate my entire focus to this first 20 chapters. <clears throat> it's going to end up being still about 500, over 500 pages, which is thicker than any other book I have on my bookshelf. So I'm a bit concerned about that, but nonetheless, you're going to get a lot of value jam-packed in these first 20 chapters. So this is only just a decision <clears throat> I made yesterday. I'm um, talking with my book editor. We're trying to make the, the image sizes maybe a little bit smaller, maybe widen the margins a little bit. Um, and if worse comes to worse and the page count's still really high, I might have to increase the size dimensions of the book, which I kept to, it's, um, I think six and a half inch by eight and a half or something like that. Anyway, I looked at my, my bookshelf and saw like a pretty standard size and wanted my book to stay that I didn't want it to be a, a monster book. Um, like in terms of its size, it just doesn't fit well on bookshelves and yeah, it, it's probably just my preferred. So it's going to be a thick book. Um, Keep you updated on that, but hopefully things move quite quickly because after that it is moving on to my um, book designer, the the cover designer, who's then going to establish once they know the page number, establish like the thickness of the spine and move it on from there. So bear with me. I have also um, started taking the initial steps of self-narrating the audiobook for the Run Smarter book and... It's a challenge. Um, I think I might have to hire someone to do all the editing because it takes a lot of time. And me specifically, I don't like reading while reading things out loud. It's just something my brain doesn't do, which I will do a bit on today's episode. But um, nonetheless, putting it into a, a book is not my forte, but, you know, sort of, I guess, soldiering on, pushing through and doing the best I can. And I'm not sure how long that will take. That will probably maybe a couple of weeks, but um, the audiobook <clears throat> is in progress. Stay tuned for that. Um, the YouTube channel is moving across nicely. I have made the decision of um, finalizing eight episodes or finalizing eight videos before actually like publishing the channel or starting the channel, I guess you could say. And so we're down to five. We've done five so far. So three to go, four of them are about cadence, understanding cadence. And the next four that I will do is just about running technique, uh, looking at certain parameters, looking at certain um, gate characteristics and really leads on nicely to this particular paper, which I've decided to, to look at. Um, but keep an eye out. Uh, I'll let you know when I'll probably, when I release a podcast episode, whether that be next week or the week after, will then say, you know, the YouTube channel is ready. So go to it and et cetera, et cetera. But I'll let you know. Um, okay, so that's enough about me and the new developments. Um, first of all, a big thanks to the Mountainland Physical Therapy. Uh, they have they've supplied me with this paper. It's a very brand new paper, 2022 paper. And it the title of the paper is a link between wait no it's not that's the that's the uh the title of my podcast episode it is titled um spatial temporal and ground reaction force characteristics as risk factors for running related injury and i couldn't get a hold of it myself i actually heard about this paper when listening to the running medicine podcast 
and it's a great podcast, but I, because I couldn't get access to it, I reached out to those, um, to the podcast and said, Hey, can you, I, I love that episode. Can you supply me with the paper? And they did. So thank you very much. Uh, let me bring up the paper. We're going to go through it. So essentially, so the title is, um, like I said, spatiotemporal, which just means like, um, movement measurements, data, like step length, um, cadences, heights, uh, those sorts of things. So measuring how you're moving, um, and also ground reaction force, which is just measuring like how hard you're hitting the ground, just general load on the ground. So the spatiotemporal and ground reaction force characteristics as risk factors for running related injury. Um, so I'll go through this now and, uh, and I'll sort of, I guess, piece together some of my ideas because it's doesn't have, it's got some interesting findings, which is why I want to put it on the podcast episode. But those interesting findings, kind of like making sense of those findings is open to interpretation a little bit, um, how I'm reading it anyway. So I will dive back and forth. But the paper says at the start, like the purpose of this paper was to identify risk factors among spatio-temporal and ground reaction forces in recreational runners to investigate whether shoe cushioning modifies uh, the association between running-related biomechanics and injury. Because in this paper as well, they they did some things with shoe softness and looking at that as sort of like an extra element, I guess you could say. So the methods, they took recreational runners and they took 848 of them, so quite a large sample size. Always good to see that in randomized controls trials. Um, So recreational runners, 848 of them, were tested on a treadmill at their preferred running speed and then randomly allocated standardized shoes, either hard cushioning or soft cushioning. And typical kinetic and spatiotemporal metrics were derived, recorded, um, ground reaction forces were recorded. Participants were subsequently followed up for six months uh, regarding their running activities and also injury. So they've got all these runners, randomly allocated them a hard shoe or a soft shoe in terms of their cushioning, looked at their measurements, looked at them on a treadmill, looked at their ground reaction forces and how they exactly run, then sent them off into the world to track their own running activities and their rates of injury and tracked them for six months and then looked at what they could find. What else do I have here? Um, In the... I guess, introduction, they mentioned a previous randomized trial. They mentioned this kind of um, parent trial, which I think is a randomized control trial that these same people did previously. So um, they mentioned a previous randomized trial investigated the effect of shoe cushioning on injury risk in a cohort of 800 plus recreational runners. The main findings were that low cushioning, which I guess low cushioning just means that the shoe is stiffer so less cushioning, was associated with greater injury risk. While either while neither body mass nor the proportion of fat mass were identified as risk factors for running-related injury. So that's just giving them a bit of premise for, for this particular study. Uh, the main hypothesis related to the spatiotemporal characteristics were that lower step rate or like lower cadence Shorter contact time, 
lower duty factor. So I'll go into that um, D-U-T-Y, duty factor, and greater step length were associated with greater injury risk. So this is their hypothesis. Based on what they know previously, they expect or they're looking at um, these temporal characteristics, how people are running and assuming that lower step rate, shorter contact time, lower duty factor, and a greater step length would be associated with injury. That's what they're um, assuming that they will find in this study. The duty factor, just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. I'll go through in a second. Um, actually, I'll go through it now. So duty factor was defined. This is the first time I've ever heard of that term, but apparently it's a thing. Um, duty factor was the ratio between the contact time and stride time expressed in a percentage. So your stride is just the time it takes or the length of two steps. So obviously one step is just what, what one foot would do. A stride is what two feet would do. And the overall time it takes for that stride in relation to, what did the paper say? In relation to the time you spend contacting the ground. So when you run, the definition of running is like when you enter this double flight phase. So you, um, if you have both feet on the ground um, and then you're walking and then throughout the entire phase of that cycle, if there's no flight time, it's counted as walking. That's why people speed walk and try and keep at least one foot on the ground at all times. But the people um, have this flight time at, you know, they spend more time in the air at different sort of rates and so I guess I had to write down this and sort of get my head around it. So if you are in the air for longer, a longer period of time, that means that the ratio, your duty factor, will be expressed lower. If you are, I, I guess walking would be, the duty factor would be 100%. But the, the more flight time you express, the lower your duty factor and so you're just, yeah, just spending more time in the air, I guess you could say. So that's duty factor. I uh, hope that made sense. And so that was the hypothesis. And now the participants. So volunteers were meant to be, well, are, were in good health, aged between 18 and 65 years old, and capable of performing 15 minutes of consecutive running. Um, if they could do that, they were included in the study. They were excluded from the study. If they had any medical contradictions, uh, if they had previous surgery at the lower limbs or lower back region um, or any other running impeding injury in the previous month. So they needed to be relatively healthy. Then participants randomly received one of two running shoe versions spe specifically designed um, based on the, the parent's trial that they, they did previously. The shoe versions differed only in shoe cushioning properties and they went into... Um, a few like little stats about the stiffness of the shoe, but the participants were blinded. They would have said, wear this shoe. They weren't, they didn't know that um, what the other shoe was or which group they're in, but just told you run in this shoe, you run in this shoe. Um, it's consists of all your running that you do for the next six months will be in the shoe and see what happened. But the only thing was um, the, 
the, the softness of the shoe was just pretty much relating to the softness underneath the heel and um, baseline evaluations. So the tests that they did to gather this data comprised of a three minute warm up, then an eight minute habituation phase. We know that like when people start running on treadmills, they feel a bit wonky, they move a little bit differently, but then they kind of find their rhythm. So after they found their rhythm, after that habituation phase, they just did two minutes of data tracking, two minutes of data recording, gathered all that and then sent them on the way to, to run out in the world in their new shoes and document what sort of running they did, their activities, and if they got injured. The follow-up procedures. So the primary outcome was the first running-related injury occurring during the six-month follow-up. They wanted to know how long it took someone to get injured. Uh, very importantly with these studies is the definition of being injured because there's several, like you could just make up a definition, but this particular paper used um, what I guess a consistent um, definition of injury that I've seen in a lot of other running papers. So they defined a running related injury as pain in the lower limbs that caused a restriction or stoppage of running either being distance, speed, duration, or um, just training in general, for at least seven days or three consecutive training sessions. So if they were still injured where they had to cease or modify those variables for more than seven days or three consecutive training sessions, um, or that required the runner to consult a physician or health professional. So any of those conditions, they would say, yep, you are classified as being injured, document that, and that's what they would document in their overall findings. The participants were instructed to use and provide uh, just their shoes, like the shoes they were provided with all running activities. They self-reported all their sports activities, running training characteristics in terms of like how far they ran, what distance they did, their perceived intensity, and any adverse events, obviously like any injuries or illnesses or pains um, during the given session. Uh, they did it all electronically and yeah, did all of the data gathering until the follow-up period. Now, a section in this paper is titled Statistical Analysis and it's something that I don't truly understand, but it's just the algorithms and the, the software that they put all the data into to come up with their particular findings, like looking at um, confidence intervals and looking at ratios and looking at like how correlated certain risks are and they just change up the the equations and the adjustments and what they extrapolate and those sorts of things but anyway I'll say it in the like I'll say what the paper said and um, hopefully if you're science-minded you can make sense of it but I think it was important to include so they they ran sort of three different models into their analysis and so the first unadjusted model, which they called mo model one, was used to present the crude estimates of running-related injury um, for each predictor that either being um, spatiotemporal and ground reaction force characteristics separately. So I guess they just gathered everyone in the study in this first model and saw, okay, regardless of the shoes, um, let's look at how they're running and see if there's any links to injury. Model two, so they said unadjusted models, model two was used to present the crude estimates of running related injuries or running risk um, for each predictor per shoe version. 
So I guess this next one, they, they're pulling all the data together and trying to come up to see if there's any correlations or any um, differences between the shoes. The final model they said was model three adjusted each predictor for running speed and previous injury, which is the most common factor for running injury or, or which, you know, has been suggested as a common risk for running related injury based on previous studies. So three models gathering all the data and sort of using three models to come up with, with results. One being just observing everyone, observing how they run, their, their metrics, um, their movements, and seeing if that's linked to injury. Model two, looking at all the different shoes and saying, okay, we've got the hard shoe version, we've got the soft shoe version, and linking that to how people are moving and seeing if there's any injuries there. The third being speed, uh, their running speed, and also previous injury and seeing if there's any anything they can find from there. So results. Um, there's an injury section within this results and they said a total of 128 participants, so 15% of the field, sustained a running related injury during the follow-up period. So I always say, like I'm always stunned <laughs> at looking at runners, how often they get injured. Here we have 800 odd runners and they haven't been injured. They're healthy. They don't have any pains. Uh, they haven't been injured within the last month. So relatively healthy. And then you just let them go for six months, not a long time. And you find 128 people get injured. That's crazy. 15% um, of them. So if you, you know, put that into, say, if you, you follow that over 12 months, that's one in every three runners getting injured. Anyway. <laughs> um, they say the most frequent injuries, the most frequent injury locations were at the ankle, which was 26% of the population, the knee, which was 21%, just lower leg. They put lower leg. I think that just means the shin, um, below, below the knee above the ankle would be the lower leg and the foot. Oh, well, so the lower leg was 19% and the foot was about 16%. Tendinitis, which I'm not sure why they're using that term, should be tendinopathy, accounted for almost half of the injuries, so about 50%, um, and muscle injuries were about 20%. Approximately 37% of, of the participants did not fully recover within a month, so they took longer than a month to recover. Crazy stats. Okay, um, the primary analysis, so in that model one that we said that just looked at everyone and looked at their their metrics, how they're moving, found that greater step length, longer flight time, shorter contact time, and lower duty factor were associated with greater injury risk, but step rate was not. Now, it's interesting to think because I, I thought step rate, like your cadence would be, you know, really closely linked to all of these things, but um, they've said, if you take a, a greater step length, if you take shorter, uh, longer flight time, so spending more time in the air, which would then reduce your duty factor, so that makes sense, um, were associated with uh, increased injury risk. Vertical impact peak, vertical loading rates, and peak braking force were not associated with a risk in injury. So that looks at the ground reaction force. It seems like um, 
how you're moving, like your cadence, um, your time ticking over, your step length, your um, flight time. There seems to be some sort of correlation that they found there. But in terms of how hard you're hitting the ground or how much you're breaking those braking forces, they couldn't really find any link to injury. So kind of goes against their what they expected to find their, their hypothesis. Um, in the unadjusted model two, looking at the, the two different shoes, among those who received a soft shoe version, greater risk was observed in those with longer flight time and lower duty factor. I don't know why they combine, like if you have longer flight time, you have lower duty factor, I think. So I'm not sure why they have to mention both of those things. Um, among runners using the hard shoe version, a greater injury risk was found in those with shorter contact time, again, lower duty factor, and higher peak braking force. This is probably the only uh, force-related, ground reaction force-related thing that we've seen so far. So those who have, I'll say it again, those who have a harder shoe that also had higher braking forces seemed to have a correlation with injury. After adjusting for running speed and previous injury, so again, that Model 3 that we talked about, only lower duty factor remained significantly associated with injury among those who had soft shoes. So I guess they kind of combined the both. They said that um, running speed and previous injury was linked to injury, to a future injury, but only in the people that had a soft shoe. Take it or leave it. That's what they said. The discussion. Um, so in the main findings, uh, I'll be quoting a lot of this paragraph because I found a lot of it interesting. So the discussion, main findings. Although higher rates of injury was found for pre peak braking force among participants using the hard shoe version, the association was not significant when controlled for running speed and previous injury. In other words, none of our hypotheses related to impact and braking force were supported by our observations. We only hypothesized that lower step rate, shorter contact time, lower duty factor, and greater step length would be associated with greater injury risk. Higher rates of injury were observed for greater step length in the whole cohort, as well as for shorter contact time in both the whole cohort and runners using the hard shoe version. However, these associations were not significant after adjusting for running speed and previous injury, model three, which refutes our hypothesis related to the spatiotemporal characteristics. Unexpectedly, our main findings is that lower duty factor was associated with greater injury risk. That seemed to be most consistent amongst the different models, amongst the different shoes. Those who had a lower duty factor, which again, I'll say is taking, um, spending more time in flight compared to your stride, compared to your normal stride. If you're spending more time in flight, that will lower your duty factor. So that was the main finding that was associated with greater injury risk. Furthermore, longer flight time also increased injury risk as a whole um, using a soft, a soft shoe version, which again, flight time reduced um, the duty factor. Indeed, spatiotemporal factors are strongly related with speed, suggesting that both running speed and duty factor should be considered when providing recommendations for 
injury prevention. So what they're saying here is that I guess the faster you run, so increasing your running speed, the lower your duty factor that if you naturally, if you run faster, you spend more time in the air. Like I think that's just like the faster you run, push off the ground, you, you sort of enter flight time a bit longer compared to someone who's just really running really slow, kind of shuffling a little bit, I guess you could say. So increasing speed, um, lowers duty factor should be considered um, when recommending sort of things for, for future, especially if you plan to do a fast interval session or something quite, quite quick. Um, maybe just some cueing. If you're spending a lot of time in the air to say, all right, let's try and reduce the, the flight time, reduce the time that you spend in the air and increase the time you spend on the ground. They say, they continue, duty factor was associated with increased injury risk only in those using a soft shoe, which suggests that the shoe cushioning can modify the association between running biomechanics and injury. There was a um, section here. This is clinical implications. Um, and I just highlighted a few things which I thought I'd mention. Um, they say in, in this particular section, based on our prospectively gathered results on a very large sample of runners, impact force and loading rate measured from ground reaction force signal are not good predictors for injury risk in contradiction to widespread beliefs. In addition, their clinical relevance as targets for preventing measures is not supported by our findings. So what they're saying is in this particular study, these ground reaction forces, um, ground reaction force signal, uh, looking at all these impact forces, breaking forces, didn't really seem to link with injury, didn't really have much relevance despite what a lot of people believe, but despite what other papers may have concluded or suggested, um, this has sort of gone against that or f not found any evidence to support it. Furthermore, a previous study has shown that increasing duty factor can be learnt based on simple verbal instructions. So if we're finding that um, lower duty factor is linked with injury, Maybe there's some cueing and stuff that we can do to increase our duty factor. And they say it could be done with simple verbal instructions um, with a mere instruction to run without a flight phase. So just try and minimize your flight phase is just the verbal instruction and found active young men successfully increased their duty factor by more than 9% by increasing contact time while keeping stride time constant. So I guess your cadence or the time that you spend through that stride needs to be the same, but just, yeah, trying not to enter flight time as much. Duty factor is strongly related to speed and has shown that duty factor decreases with increased running speed, which is kind of what I said before. Generally speaking, the faster you run, the more you, you spend in the air uh, or the, the increase in time you spend in the air. So maybe that's something to be a bit more mindful of. In conclusion, the present study revealed that lower duty factor, i.e. the ratio between contact time and stride time, is an injury risk factor, especially when using softer running shoes. That's how we'd like to sum that up. I'll say that again. So the present study revealed that lower duty factor is an increased risk factor, especially when using softer running shoes. That is what I have for today. Um,
with a little bit of rambling here and there. I hope this made sense. I, I always try and find a study and say, God, I hope that makes sense purely just through a audio element. Um, this is why I'm getting excited about YouTube as well. I've been reviewing a few papers and the visual element is, is really exciting. I'm really enjoying it. But that's what we have for today. Um, hope that made sense. I will keep the, the title and the authors and that sort of stuff in the show notes if you want to check it out. Um, and let me know what you think. I don't really do too many paper reviews unless I come across one that's that I'm something that's new. Like I said, I've never heard of this duty factor before and maybe it's something that you want to do. The paper did mention as well that sometimes duty factor is included or just like um, it might call it something different, but is tracked on say like your Garmin or other you know, trackers, um, activity trackers. And so maybe you want to check that out and just see what it's like. So, um, yeah, if you, if you like these, these papers, if you like these reviews, reach out and let me know. Cause I like this particular feedback. Hope you enjoyed today. Good luck with your running this week. I'll keep you updated on the book. And remember every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path. <laughs>